0: This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up with your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Welcome back, my friends. Today, we have a special guest who's a trauma and abuse therapist. Trauma work that she does is not something that she just learned. It's based on her own experiences of a long and painful healing journey. For many years, she battled with extreme insecurities and lack of self-confidence. At the age of 45, caught up in a narcissistic marriage and unable to reconcile her past, and how it left her feeling about herself, she almost committed suicide, but was saved by a split-second realization. We have with us today, Sarah Griffiths. Sarah, how's it going?
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here. Sarah, so it looks like you had a a lot of suffering and a lot of learning throughout life, and I'm guessing that's what made you uh, the trauma and abuse therapist that you are today, right? You You had to learn the things the hard way, I guess
1: yeah and and it's it's one of those things you know what they say that your calling and your passion finds you rather than the other way around it's it 's not something I looked for it 's not something I expected, but as you say, out of what I went through and all the all the learning and growing that i did um i I then did some training and um i it it really just happened that all the clients that started to come to me for coaching. And then once I was a hypnotherapist for help with their emotional and mental health issues, they all had trauma in their background. So that's when I specialized and did a lot more training. And that's where I work. Yeah.
0: So what in your past made you disconnect to yourself?
1: That was um, very, very early on when I was at school. I mean, I grew up in the UK in the 1970s. And you know, there wasn't a lot of money around, certainly not where I was. Um, and I grew, grew up relatively poor. And it just happened that the children, the table I was sitting at at school, um, they all had more money than we did. And I was bullied just for, being, just for being poor. So it wasn't something that I could do anything about. It wasn't about me. Um, but I obviously, as children, we take everything on board. We think everything's about ourselves. And I really took it on um, ab- about me, thinking that I was worthless, I wasn't good enough, I couldn't fit in, that whole thing about disconnection, rejection. I didn't know this at the time, um, but obviously this is what I've learned since, that this is what I did, and, and that's why. Yeah.
0: It's incredible how uh, children can suffer, and we don't even know, but they can build in these thoughts about themselves and, and about others, and uh, we don't even realize. And, and no, no. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned earlier in the introduction that you almost committed suicide. Can you talk about like what led you to that and and what your thoughts were? Because that's a scary thing.
1: Yeah. So so this this is this is what happens when people have childhood trauma when they when they have abuse in their background, whether the abuse comes from home or elsewhere. You have to remember that some children's abuse doesn't come from the home. It happen. It it comes from elsewhere. But it leaves you, it really does leave you feeling as if you have no value and worse. As if you don't have a voice, you're completely unimportant. And you just don't matter, that you don't matter to, to anyone. It's this whole feeling of being unlovable and being not enough. And what it does when you have that as as your foundation as a child It stays with you as you move into your adult life. And because you don't have a foundation of self-confidence, it leads you into relationships that are in themselves abusive because it's what you're used to. You just accept that that's all you deserve. That's all you're worth. Um, And I actually ended up in a marriage that seemed fine on the surface to other people, um, but was um, in many ways narcissistic. And it just got to the point where I just couldn't cope any longer um, with, with what was happening to me. Um, and there was a particular incident where my husband had promised me something, something that was very important to me, something that I was really working towards and looking forward to. And then he just took it off the table. And it was, this had happened many, many times. Mm. And it was really just the last, it was the last straw the, the straw that absolutely, where I just said, I have no way out. That I, I just can't live like this any longer. Yeah, that's what happened.
0: And thankfully, you, you didn't go through. But there was something that you realized—a um, realization that, that happened that made you stop. And what yeah. was that?
1: Right at the last second, my boys. Then I had twin boys, and they were fourteen. And I had actually, I'd left the house and I'd already written a note and I'd left it at home. Um, and I realized in a split second that if I did this, they would never recover. They would never recover. And it really, it was, it was just that split second thought that led me. I, what happened was I had decided that the best way to kill myself was to drive into a tree at speed. I think I'd probably seen it on a film or something. Um, seems crazy now, it's such a long way from where I actually am. Um, but I was, yeah, it was all lined up to do it. I was in the car, I'd left home, I'd written the suicide note, I'd done all this, told everyone I thought they were better off without me. Um, and I was just sitting there and I'd actually, I was driving towards the tree and I, I swerved to miss it because I had that split-second realization. And then I sat there and I remember sitting there with the car running, and all the adrenaline and just so afraid. And I just said to myself, it just came out of nowhere. Like, you're not that person. You've never been that person and you have to fix this. And, and it was, yeah, I, I didn't know how and I didn't know where that, that came from because I'd been full of self-loathing for literally like 38 years or something all so the bullying started when i was about eight um and yeah but it was very clear so i had no idea but i, I just had this idea you have to fix this so that's what happened
0: you know there's a uh, probably a lot of people listening that know the feeling and yeah. and then unfortunately for, unfortunately and then unfortunately maybe their family doesn't even know this right because they had to uh, deal with it themselves internally, and I mean that that causes a lot of internal issues. Um, but the fact that you didn't you didn't hit that tree. By the way, let me just ask you this: How, when you're thinking about something like that, for example, that yeah. tree, did yeah. you pick a particular tree, or was it just going to be randomly?
1: No, I had it worked out. Wow. I
0: knew.
1: Yeah, I, I knew. I Looking back on it now, it just seems completely bizarre that I would work this out, that I would plan this, that I would choose the place. Um, But you have to understand that when someone really feels like they're going to kill themselves, they absolutely have no way out. Or that's what they think. There is always a way out. There was a different way out. Um, I didn't ever need to get to that point. Um, but either we keep these things, you see, when we keep these things to ourselves, especially from my point of view with how I was thinking and feeling about myself, we think it's about us. The adult self is still driven by the subconscious pattern of the childhood and we think it's about us. We think it's, what, it's about what we deserve. Uh, somehow we've bought this on ourselves. And it's not a rational logic that is driving this. The rational logic says, "Of course, you can sort this out. Just get someone to help you. Mm-hmm. but this whole this overriding feeling that you don't actually deserve that, and somehow this is your fault is is what is running the show. yeah
0: and today you are a award nominated businesswoman, and you had several businesses, and now your your passion is Sally G. So how did you start this recovery journey to get to, to where you are now?
1: Yeah, so it started, you have to remember this is like 10 years ago now nearly, and it started immediately, immediately. I mean, I went from my car where I'd been about to drive into a tree, took me a while to calm down, but once I had calmed down, I just... I was just got this determination from somewhere that I was absolutely going to take control of my life. And I went straight to the shopping center where I knew they were doing a big extension. And I just out somewhere, I don't know, driven by panic, fear, adrenaline, whatever. I went into their office and I asked about renting in the center uh, because I had determined, I'd, I'd been thinking about it before, but I decided I was going to open a big restaurant at the shopping center. And okay. about six months later, this was in October, 2010. And in April, 2011, I did. That's what I did. Yeah. Aye. Yeah.
0: Aye. So uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship and, and abuse, are they affected particularly any different being being an entrepreneur? Is there any?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Obviously, they're, they're, they're drawn to me, especially, especially women who are in business and struggling in business. And the way it shows up is, as I said to you, big, this underlying lack of self-confidence, self-esteem, and a belief in yourself on what you deserve. And when that comes across and you are trying to launch or grow a business, it sits there as a barrier, and what hap- what tends to happen is I'll have women they come to me and they'll say, "I've done all the learning, um, I've got everything set up, or but I just can't start. You know there's yeah. something stopping me start, and all that's stopping is them is them. But what they don't realize is that it's their subconscious belief about themselves, that they're somehow not good enough, that no one is going to listen to them, that what, they've, what they are selling or what they're providing isn't good enough. You know, it's almost like imposter syndrome. You know, who am I that I think I could do this? And, and this, is what, this is what runs through. And sometimes I'll have people who've started a business and they're trying to grow it. Um, and again, they, ju- they just feel we'll, we'll uncover this underlying belief that somehow they shouldn't be doing this. They don't deserve this success. And I've had other people who are hugely successful, but they can't actually enjoy it. So they'll actually come to me and say, I've got all this success and I've done this and I've overcome this, but I can't enjoy it. I can't just relax into it. And again, we uncover this belief that they just don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. So then they, they can't enjoy it and they can't just accept it. They can't grow it. All kinds of really bizarre perceptions from childhood around money, around what they should be doing. Maybe it was because their parents wanted them to be a doctor, but here I am with this amazing business, but I've let everyone down. It's, it's amazing what's going on in the subconscious, but it's all running the show all the time.
0: You know the reason why I asked that was because maybe it's because I'm more involved with with entrepreneurs that almost I was going to say twenty four seven, but it feels like it, but it's not. It's just about like sixteen hours a day. The the most common stories that I hear about uh, you know thinking about suicide and and a lot of issues are or were entrepreneurs. So it could be just because that's who I deal with the most. But yeah. I was wondering if there was a connection.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so, because it comes down to this whole sense of this this lack of self-worth, this lack of being enough, being being able to achieve. People get frustrated with themselves when they invest in all this training and setting everything up, and then they either can't launch or they can't grow. And then, of course, failure comes into it as well. You know, when things don't go quite as we as we plan, and we know as entrepreneurs, sometimes our businesses can go really, really wrong, and we see ourselves as a failure, and we, we forget that we've done far more than the person who didn't even bother to take the step, and now we've learned something, and the next step we take will be different or better, and we're so harsh on ourselves. You know, one of the biggest problems we have is our, is our inner critic. We, we would yes. never be friends with someone who spoke to us like we speak to ourselves. And, and it's a huge problem, and that's part of the work that I do is stilling that inner critic, because we can silence it when we replace those negative thought processes with positive ones, get people to see who they really are. It's not even that hard, but people don't know about it, so, yeah.
0: So that inner critic that I would say almost everybody has it. Everyone. has that inner Yes. Yep. Uh, you think it's possible to silence that, that oh. person?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, because that inner critic is all the thought, it's, it's the neural pathways, all the thought processes that you've had about yourself, even before you could talk. You know, you've been collecting these ideas about yourself, and they, and they are your major thought processes. That's all. You, your mind goes to the path of least resistance. And you doing what you've always done is, is the easiest pathway. But when we deal with the subconscious with what I do, we uncover what those thoughts are and and we replace them. And when you're dealing with the subconscious, you can take a thought and you can change it. Only in a way that serves someone in a positive way. But I can take something negative that you think about yourself and give you a trigger to give you a new thought process about yourself. Yeah, definitely. That's a huge part of the work that I do. Huge.
0: Wow so you're you're known for helping people very quickly people that sometimes have been in normal therapy for for many years yeah so how do you do that
1: pretty much like i just said because because i deal with the subconscious mind and because i've learned particular techniques that i know work very fast um it's It's kind of, it's what I've learned, but I've realized it's a gift as well. And there's a lot of intuition with it, but it's the way that I guide my clients and we uncover what's really at the root. And then it's the work we do within the session, within the session to change what what they think and feel about themselves. Um, The first part is the discovery, because we discover things that you would never know from the logical mind. Um, so it's the discovery, but then it's this rapid changing where I get them to see that what what they're saying doesn't apply now. Normally, we'll go back, let's say they'll go back and they'll find themselves at a young age. Sometimes it's toddlers, babies. Um, the most common age is between eight and ten. And we have a specific question. depending on what the client needs, what what the client needs, We'll ask the subconscious a specific question. And they'll come up with thoughts and feelings about themselves, perceptions that they picked up. And the work that I do is showing them, yes, but that was when you were eight. You're not eight anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's that whole, you know, people will laugh and say, no, I'm not, you know, and we'll go through the whole process. So you're not helpless anymore. You're not stuck anymore. You're not trapped anymore. No one's going to tell you off. Because you haven't done something right anymore. You don't need to fear criticism, you know, and it's this whole process depending on what comes up. But honestly, moving someone out of the child that they're stuck in, and that's what happens. It's and into the adult that they really are is, is a huge, huge factor. And there are other things we do, but if yeah, that because I always say what, especially when there's abuse. When, when children are dealing with abuse, they they get stuck emotionally at the age where they had least love, literally. That's where they get stuck. They don't get a chance. This is very complex, but in a nutshell, they mm-hmm. don't get a chance to emotionally develop and they get stuck. So what presents is an adult, but what's there emotionally is, is the child that's still running the show.
0: Oh, so, hypnotherapy. The th- uh, is something that, uh, just like, it, because it, it involves hypnotism. Hypnot, yeah. Yes. So Hypnotism, hypnotism yes. Um, thing is, a lot of people do not believe it works because they consider it almost like a magic trick, right? It's some sort of illusion. Yeah. Personally, I know it does because many, many years ago, I took lessons. And, right. Yeah, and I actually did it, and I would practice... And I would do little tricks to, to family members that were willing to accept. And until one day I did something that was super scary and, and then I, I gave it up. So it's been a good, I don't know, probably 40 years that I haven't tried anything. But I know it works. Because of that, uh, when somebody believes it works, they're more rec- receptive and it works better on them. Do you still oh, find that- a lot of people that don't?
1: Um, Well, people that come to me, sometimes they'll have questions about it. But I think these days with everything that's available to us, people are so much more educated. And what we have to move away from is that this is not a a show on a stage, Mm -hmm. you know, where where people are acting. And um, what do we have on a stage? We have actors. This is hypnotherapy. It's all based in science. Um, and anything and everything that anyone wants to know about it is available on the internet. And all it is is deep relaxation. It's, it's almost like just an, a slightly different state of being. And we all go into this state naturally all the time anyway. So anytime you are so absorbed in something that someone can startle you, like let's say you're really absorbed in a television program and someone comes in and makes you jump, well, you weren't present you were in this altered state and we've all done the one where we're driving and we pull up on our driveway and go how did i get here well what happened was your conscious mind drifted off and your subconscious took over to keep you safe that's yeah. it's exactly we all and it's just deep relaxation you no know, people get i take people into hypnosis through breathing and through talking and it is just deep relaxation people have these weird ideas. Well, people who don't know, as I say, you can just look this stuff up, but people are always awake. They're always in control. They're always aware. They're talking to me. Um, And the important thing is that it is a collaboration. Are there people that can't be hypnotized? No, everyone can be hypnotized, but sure, you can stop it because it's relaxation. You know, so it's a, it's a collaboration. But of course, the people that come to me, they're looking for an answer. They're looking for something that traditional therapy to the conscious mind hasn't been able to give them, sometimes for up to 50 years. You know, I, I get people come to me who are, who are in absolute desperation. So, yeah. Do
0: you find there's a lot of people that have emotional issues or some, caused by some type of abuse that because it was in childhood, and it's, it's not physical abuse we're talking here, right? Some sort of mental abuse, and that that person is not aware of the cause or, right? You know what yeah, I mean? I,
1: again, I, th- I think people are becoming more and more educated, and it's more and more acceptable. Um, but I do sometimes find that people are almost apologetic. And this this comes to this whole thing of feeling it must be about them. It must be their fault. They must somehow be defective or faulty or not good enough. And they'll come to me and say, oh, I almost feel bad trying to blame my current depression or anxiety or whatever it is on my childhood. How can that possibly be? It was such a long time ago. But it is. You know, I'll, I'll get people who have chronic anxiety and yes, the root cause was 50 years ago because of what you were taught about yourself. What what it taught you, it taught you to be afraid. It taught you that there was something to be scared of. And what, what is in the subconscious stays in the subconscious until we replace it.
0: So every emotional issue has a solution?
1: Absolutely. That's, yeah. I've never worked with anyone that, that there isn't a solution for. That's why I love working with the subconscious. And I've, do, I've worked with people who have extreme trauma. You know, people who are... Recently, I worked with a gentleman in his early 60s and his extreme trauma. We, you have to remember that often these are combinations. They're emotional, they're physical, they're sexual combinations or all of those. And it goes on for many, many years. Um, and he had extreme trauma in his background and he got recommended to me and he was at the point where he would do anything because he was so afraid every minute of every day Um, and I worked with him and six sessions later he didn't he just didn't know himself and and that's that's what I love to do yeah
0: so uh, how does it work if for example right now you're in Australia And somebody like, for example, like me is in Canada across the world and uh, there's 14 hour uh, difference. Uh, Does this work online?
1: Absolutely. I do all of my sessions online. My clients are all around the world. Most of them are in the US and I would have absolutely no problem if if you were my client here, you're on screen just like now. We use Zoom. Mm-hmm. um and you're just in a comfortable position some people like to sit in a chair other people are lying down but because all i need to do is see you and and hear you and you need to hear me because it's just talking you into relaxation it's you know you wouldn't know that i'm not in the room in fact what i do love i almost find that it works better so even if i'm dealing with local people i like to use zoom. Um, because there's no physical distraction. Yes. There's no energy. There's no physical energy to to break up what we're doing. It's just this, just this this concentration between us. Just this connection. Yes, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I do ninety nine percent of my clients are in the U S. So I, I do all of my sessions that way. It's fantastic. And,
0: and for the ones that are listening right now and that are interested, where can they find you and how can they do it?
1: Well, hopefully you'll put the links up so they don't have to remember. Um, But I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, My website is sallyg.com. So that's the name Sally with the letter G after it, which is Sally is my, Sal is my dad's nickname for me. So my company is Sally G. Um, And they'll find me on Facebook under that name too. Um, And I've actually just launched a webinar as well, which is, Um, it's, it's about the five key beliefs that I believe people have to overcome, um, to quickly, um, overcome CPTSD. And I've got a website for that too. Um, but if you put the links up, they can find me on, um, LinkedIn, Instagram. I don't use so much, but very much on my website. And if they go to my website and like what they see, they'll find links. They can book in with me. They can email me. It's, it's all on my website. It's all there.
0: Perfect. So Sarah, I'll have all those on the on the show notes for everybody to check out. And it was uh it was a pleasure to have you here, Sarah. I mean, this is very informative. I know you're helping uh, so many people out there and there's so many more that need help, so thank you for what you do.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.